1: And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com. Dot com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to let you know before you hear today's episode that for those of you who are listening within the first 24 hours of this dropping, you can still buy tickets to my event with John Green that is on Friday, August 20th. So if you're listening to this on Thursday the 19th or Friday the 20th, you can go to NotSorryWorks.com and buy your tickets, $10, live event, me and John Green, rating Jane Eyre on a five-star scale. Hope to see you there. Enjoy the episode.
0: Chapter 16, Through the Trap Door. In years to come, Harry would never quite remember how he had managed to get through his exams when he half expected Voldemort to come bursting through the door at any moment. Yet the days crept by and there could be no doubt that Fluffy was still alive and well behind the locked door. I'm Matt Potts.
2: And I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
0: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
2: Matt, we're getting towards the end of book one. I can't believe how quickly this went by. We've almost done a whole book together.
0: Yeah, I was talking to Lara, our wonderful new Not Sorry project coordinator, and I was trying to think about how many weeks I've been doing the podcast with you, and I was like, what has it been, four, six weeks? And I was like, oh my gosh, we're at the end of this book. We are almost at the end of this book, which means it's been at least 16 weeks yeah. since we've been doing this, but more because we, we had like an episode zero, <laughs> yes. so... Yes, this has become a favorite part of every week, talking about Harry Potter with my buds.
2: Yeah, hanging out with me is very special, so that tracks. I understand. Okay, well, it's your turn to tell a story this week on the theme of freedom. What story would you like to tell?
0: So, Vanessa, I have a confession first. Mm -hmm. Okay. The confession is I used to be a smoker.
2: This really shocks me.
0: I know. You said it shocked you. I'm not sure why it shocked you so much. But yeah, I used to be a smoker. I was mostly a social smoker until I went in the Navy. I went in the Navy right after college, as some of our listeners have heard. And I spent a few years in the Navy smoking. And I came back to the States and got a job working in higher ed administration. And I kept smoking. And by that time, I didn't really like it so much anymore. I just couldn't really stop doing it. And then a mutual friend set me up with Colette. And I remember the few minutes before I met her, I had a cigarette to kind of calm myself down, relax. And then I went into this classroom and sat down in the back and met my future wife. And somehow in that conversation, I can't remember how it came up. You know, we sat together pretending to pay attention to this lecture for an hour and just really paying attention to one another. And somehow it came up that she just was totally opposed to tobacco usage and would not date anybody who smoked. And that was the last cigarette I ever had. And the reason I tell this as a freedom story is because I was a grown up at the time, like choosing to smoke or not to smoke was my own choice. But had I chosen to continue smoking, I would have not been free to do the thing that I really wanted to do more, which was to fall in love with with my wife right, and build a life with her. You know, when we think about freedom, we tend to think about it as license to do what we want with what we want or how we want to do it. But another way to think about it is what do we need to do to become our best selves, right? To be free, to be in relationship with the people we want to be in relationship with or to be the kind of people we want to be. Sometimes that may mean doing things that feel like constraint.
2: Right. I just love that definition of freedom because I think we've really gotten into this zero sum idea of freedom that I should be free to do whatever I want. I should be free to date Colette and smoke a cigarette. And it's like, well, that freedom doesn't account for like other people's consent, right? And other mm-hmm. people's desires. And so I I love thinking of freedom as being bound up in sacrifice. I think that that's a much healthier and collective way to think about freedom.
0: Yeah, this is actually a classic distinction in both moral philosophy and Christian theology between what's called negative freedom, which is like, You can't tell me what not to do, (laughs) right? Right. And the more positive freedom, which is like, oh, if you imagine yourself to be the kind of person that is for other people, what do you need to do to be free to be that kind of person, right? Right. To be for Colette, I could not keep smoking. And so, like, you can read freedom on both sides of that scenario, but the one that actually builds us up and helps us grow is maybe the more positive understanding of freedom. How do we free ourselves to be for others rather than how do we become anxious about what other people are binding us to, or how we're bound to other people. Right. I feel like this is a very long chapter with a lot of stuff, and I feel like I should be more nervous about it, but I just feel like there's so much stuff. I can just name things. If I just hit all the high points, I'll, yeah. it'll still go over 30 seconds. So I'm very relaxed today. Today's a very relaxed 30-second day.
2: Oh, my God. I'm so happy for you.
0: Oh, wait. No, I just got nervous. <laughs> I started thinking about how I would start it, and I was like, I don't know what happens first. How am I going to... Okay.
2: <laughs> okay, Matt. I think you're going to do great. And that's all that matters is what I think. On your mark, get set,
0: go. So they have their exams and then they finish their exams and they're relaxing and then Harry realizes, oh my gosh, Hagrid got tricked. Let's go talk to Hagrid. And they realize they confirm you was tricked and they say we had to tell Dumbledore, but Dumbledore's gone. And so Harry says we have to do this ourselves. But Neville says no, you cannot do this yourselves. And they say yes, we can. And they go and then they go through. They, they play the music and they get mass fluffy and get in the double snare and then go to uh, they catch the key and then there's there's a there's the uh, uh, there's a troll and there's poison and they get there and it's it's neither Snape nor Voldemort. I have so many things I want to make fun of you
2: for. I missed a challenge. I, I missed what of of
0: challenges. You
2: said Snape instead of Snape. I'm pretty sure.
0: I said Snape?
2: I'm not 100% sure. Okay, that's okay. Sure.
0: That's my pet name for him.
2: The thing that really excited me was that you got very sing-songy about it. You Did were I? like, and then this happens, and then a this. It was like you were a cantor in Judaism. It was very, it, yeah, I loved it.
0: I like chapters like this. I forgot one of the challenges. I can't remember which, the, the, which chess, is the one I forgot. Hermione. Oh, chess. Chess, I forgot. So important. I mean, talking about freedom and sacrificing yourself, and I forget chess. Anyway, okay. okay. You have 30 seconds on the clock, Vanessa.
2: Okay, count me in.
0: Uh, make sure you mention chess. Three, okay. two, one, One. Go.
2: So the kids are like, we have to get involved. And they go to McGonagall and they're like, we need to talk to Dumbledore. And she's like, you guys are so not important enough. And I will take away 50 points from Gryffindor again. Yes, Mr. Weasley, I will. And Neville is like, oh, my God, guys, she's going to take away points. And then Harry pretends to be the Bloody Baron to get past Peeves. And then they go down and Hermione knows about Devil's Snare and Hermione knows about logic. Ron happens to know about chess, which is very helpful. Harry knows about keys. They don't need to know about trolls. And then they, he goes in. I didn't say to where or to what, but he does okay. go in.
0: It doesn't really say where to, or to what. So excellent yeah. work! Excellent work! Thank you. You did much better with the actual obstacles, like the cavalcade of ridiculous obstacles that they have to avoid. <laughs> right? Like,
2: let's just talk about this as a security system, okay? So yes, please. S- security is a way to say like this item is not free, right? And this security system. A, sounds fun. It's an obstacle course. B, does not sound nearly as dangerous as the Four Wizard Tournament. Like, Hogwarts's priorities as to, like, what they want to make dangerous and what they want to make, like, open and free to students is so confusing to
0: me. Yeah, it's also, like, they're wizards, right? Don't include a potion that gets you through the fire. (laughs) Just put up the fire. Right. Like, I mean, right. Presumably, the person that put up the fire could take the fire down later. I mean, I don't understand why. Like, here's this really dangerous thing where you only have a one out of four chance of getting through. Like, that's not a good security system. That's
2: It's such a bad security system through and through. Let's just be honest. So bad that an 11 year old really untrained wizard gets yeah. through. Yeah. But like, this is a real question, Matt. Like, okay. Were they not scared that Voldemort was actually going to try? Is this like the effort you put in when you're like, there's a long shot that he's going to try? Like, what is actually going through their heads? Because Gringotts is more secure and they moved it from there. So, what is going on here?
0: I mean, if we're taking this seriously, and that's what that's the wager of sacred reading, right? We're not just saying that it's a kid's book, we're saying something else is going on, right? There could be overconfidence in the protectiveness of either Hogwarts or Dumbledore, right? The main protection is that it's here and that the series of obstacles maybe actually is more for kids because they actually don't think that any of the staff members are allied with Voldemort and they actually don't think Voldemort or any of the Death Eaters can get into Hogwarts. They don't want super deadly stuff because they just want to keep children out
2: love that reading, right? They're like, if for whatever reason the kids get past Fluffy, we don't want them to seriously injure themselves doing this other thing. We want to make it difficult enough that it will set off alarm bells, slow Voldemort down. But yeah, Dumbledore or McGonagall or one of the other teachers is going to be able to catch up with him.
0: Yeah, and it makes sense because they trust all the other teachers. Every one of the teachers right. puts a protective spell around the stone. So it's more to protect children from their curiosity than to keep seriously skilled wizards away from the stone they think they've already achieved that they think that they got it out of gringotts and it's under dumbledore's close watch and that's all they need right
2: yep you know something that i think about in freedom is that the moments where i feel free are when i'm not in charge and i think we see that in a lot of moments in this chapter right like Hermione and Harry are like, great, Ron's in charge of chess. And they're just like, Mm -hmm. okay, whatever you say. And there are all sorts of moments like that, right? As each kid steps into a leadership role, the other two get to take a back seat. And I do think there's just a a certain kind of freedom in like giving over all power to someone else. Yeah. And I think that that is what is at risk when there's a great leader though, right? Is like Mm -hmm. that comfortable feeling of like, I don't need to worry. This person's got it can become addictive and then you believe in Dumbledore too much (laughs) and like actually it becomes very risky.
0: Yeah. This is really interesting because I hadn't been thinking about freedom as it relates to responsibility, but I think that's what you're suggesting, right?
2: Yeah. I think that as an adult, the moments where you are free from responsibility are incredible.
0: Yeah. If we think about that climactic moment when Ron does say, you have to let the queen take me. Part of the reason that I think Harry and Hermione, who are super loyal friends, feel free to say okay, is because he is in charge. Like, they have acknowledged that he knows Chess better, yeah, and he is the one in charge, and therefore they can actually do the thing which they don't want to do, which is to let him get knocked out by the Queen, or worse. I mean, they don't know that he's only going to be knocked out. They think it could be worse than this, potentially, right? I also think about this at the beginning of the chapter, right? Like, they go to McGonagall to find Dumbledore. They want Dumbledore because it's his responsibility, right? But he's not there... To take it up, so they are no longer free to ignore it. They have to be responsible for responding to the crisis in a direct way.
2: This conversation with McGonagall goes so poorly. Like, if Dumbledore's not around, McGonagall's a great backup. Why doesn't this conversation go well?
0: The easiest person to blame for me is Dumbledore, of course.
2: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) great.
0: Hogwarts should be safe. I think McGonagall is super severe in her response to Harry, Hermione, and Neville after they get rid of Norbert because she knows that there's something unsafe in Hogwarts, that the Philosopher's Stone shouldn't be here, the three-headed dog shouldn't be here, the troll should not be under the school. Like, all these unsafe things are present. So in this moment, like, she doesn't think the risks are as grave as the children know they are. And so she is saying, oh, the greatest risk here is that these kids are going to get hurt by one of these unsafe things that we have invited into our school. So I'm going to threaten to be very severe again, which is where the conversation breaks down. It's this threat of her severity. So in the immediate sense, it's because she's so severe and doesn't hear what the children are saying. But in the broader sense, it's because the school has been left unsafe that she feels compelled, I think, to be so severe with her threats. I don't know. Does that work as an explanation? What do you think?
2: Yeah, no, I do find that pretty compelling. And I just want her to say, what would you tell Professor Dumbledore? Yeah. This is just a moment where I want to jump into the scene and be like, look, this is what everybody means. But I love that what you're pointing us to is this lack of freedom that she feels to be honest with the kids, yeah. to tell Dumbledore like what's going on. She doesn't feel like she can interrupt him, even though like they've just given her a big piece of news, which is that 11-year-olds yeah. know about the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. There's, like, been a breach of security. That is more important than the Ministry of Magic.
0: I think that's a point at which she makes a mistake, if she makes one, right? Which is, as soon as the children mention the Philosopher's Stone, then she should realize, okay, things have advanced in a way that Dumbledore probably does need to hear about. Because if these children know about it, who else knows about it, right? If the 11-year-olds could get through our system of secrecy, then the people we were actually trying to protect the stone from might know, right? I think that is the point at which she probably needs to trust them more and at least hear them out. As you said, you want to jump on the stage and make the conversation go differently?
2: Yeah. I once had a moment where it was summer break and a summer school student died. And our chaplaincy program did not have like an on-call chaplain, but all of the official chaplains who worked for the university were off campus for the summer. And so one of the chaplains called me and was like, can you please go deal with this? And there were all of these administrators who were sort of hovering around. And I asked who was in charge so I could go help. And they couldn't figure out who was in charge. And then one of them said to me, well, the summer school dean is on vacation and we're only supposed to interrupt for an emergency. And I was like, okay, so like, is she on her way? And they were like, no, 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 we're only supposed to interrupt for an emergency. And I was the person who said, this is an emergency. And they were like, oh, this is an emergency. And it was just one of the most striking moments of my life where it took an outsider to notice that it was an emergency, Yeah. right? And I I feel like I want someone to come in in this moment and be like, hi this is an emergency, call Dumbledore. And it's just, it was amazing to me how, as soon as those words were said, I had no other function there. There were all these levers that were were then pulled and like, there was a system for an emergency. What was making the situation around this tragedy go so poorly is that no one was pushing the emergency button. And I feel like that is what I want for McGonagall. I want her to notice that the emergency button is being pushed.
0: Yeah, and I think that points back to your question about, like, the relationship between freedom and responsibility, right? Because McGonagall is sort of in charge while Dumbledore's gone, but even though he's at the ministry, she still feels like he's in charge. Right. right? But Harry realizes, oh— He's not in charge. We have to be responsible.
2: Yeah. And I love Harry for that, right? Because he, even if he can't articulate to McGonagall, no, no, I need you to treat this as an emergency. He starts treating it as an emergency. He knows the stakes are high. He's like, Voldemort killed my parents. I'm not living in a world in which he rises again. It's amazing. I think of him being willing to die as a book seven thing, but he's like, if I die, okay, I beat him once. Maybe I'll be lucky a second time. But he within himself has such a sense of this
0: emergency button. I think because he also feels like it's personal. He knows already Voldemort's coming for me first, right? Like if if he rises tonight, I will be gone tomorrow. So I may as well go try to stop it beforehand. Yeah. Let's talk about Devil's Snare. Our topic this week is freedom. And the very first obstacle in the kids' obstacle course (laughs) is Devil's Snare, which... The more you struggle against it, the tighter it, it grips you and it kind of wraps itself around you while you're not paying attention, especially in a chapter where we're focusing on the question of freedom. I feel like this is a metaphor for something, right? But I wasn't quite able to, to come up with anything. I wonder what, what you think, if you think there's any, any metaphorical possibility thinking about devil snare.
2: I had an MRI this weekend and I had to be in the machine for an hour and a half. And it was really, I'm not going to lie, it was very unpleasant. Hmm. And I think that the more you resist it, the harder it is to be in that enclosed of a space. And so the moments that I was fine, right, were when I closed my eyes and when I could like convince myself that I was just asleep. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, you know, for doing a slightly more relatable version of that flying, right? You can really work yourself up into a panic if you are resisting the fact that you are in an enclosed space and you can't get out. But if you embrace it and you're like, I'm gonna watch a movie. Oh my God, what a gift that I have this time on an airplane without cell service. It can actually become a joy rather than a trap. Yeah. And that that seems to me not always possible, right? Like sometimes you're being contained and it's horrible. But if you know, okay, this is so I can get imaging for my health. This is so I can go visit my family. I feel like we can just try to stop resisting and it becomes easier.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that, that's certainly one of like the attributes of devil's snare. The more you resist, the tighter it pulls and so there's a relationship between the thing which binds you and how uncomfortable that binding is right but it just seems like with devil's snare right it cushions your fall it actually provides a service to you that makes you trust it in some way which is what happens to harry and ron and then when they're not paying attention it kind of ensnares you it's devil's snare and then also that the way to make it retract is through light and warmth and it doesn't feel like there's so much metaphorical possibility like smoking, right? Like I started smoking because I was uncomfortable in social situations. So it cushioned sort of the discomfort of those situations. And then when I wasn't paying attention, I became, you know, more dependent upon it. And then when I, when it was starting to make me not feel so great, I couldn't really stop so easily. And I find myself still doing it and then resisting it became like trying to quit at the few times I did before I met Colette sort of made me realize that I was in an antagonistic relationship with it which just made the fight harder because I suddenly knew it was a fight, right? I feel like Devil's Snare, all the attributes of Devil's Snare relate to a lot of the things that bind us up in our lives, right? And it's, there is something about light and heat causing it to relax its grip. And maybe almost like this moment, I mean, it's a funny moment and it's played for laughs in both the book and the movie. You know, are you a witch or aren't you? Or whatever the line Ron says. There is also something about like Hermione knowing who she is and then just being able to create exactly the conditions to free Harry and Ron.
2: Another metaphor that I'm thinking about is a lot of the conversations now about body size, that essentially dieting doesn't work, right? Because that is you resisting your body. That is you like putting false conditions on your body And something that someone like Emily Nagoski would teach us, and Emily has her PhD in health behavior with a doctoral concentration in human sexuality, she talks about how like the most important part of your physical health is accepting your body as it is, that that actually will determine things like you taking care of your body and doing yoga regardless of your size and like that will actually help your long-term health. And so right like that light and warmth of like your body is perfect the way that it is and in this scientific book that she wrote come as you are she spends so much time talking about self-acceptance is this like actual healthy like backed by experts thing that also seems to be like wrapped up in this devil snare right the knowledge you need is that you are enough Hermione or each of us right that you have the power within you
0: Yeah, and that directly relates to what's going on with Hermione, right? Because Hermione knows what it is. She knows the fact of what the trap is. She says, it's devil snare. I actually even know how to make it relax or whatever, right? Right. But it's not until she knows herself, oh, I am a witch, that she can actually do the thing, right? So it's it's not even knowledge of the facts or the situation of the science, which is why this book, the scientific book, is all about self-acceptance. It's actually about knowing who you are and living into that truth, which is what Hermione does and which is what frees them from the devil snare. Right.
2: I would really love to hear your thoughts on freedom as self-acceptance or self-acceptance as freedom or confidence as freedom, because Neville, because he's more confident, acts more freely. He has always thought that it's nonsense that the kids go off in the middle of the night and try to do really dangerous things, right? He thought it was nonsense when they did it with Norbert, and now he thinks it's nonsense again. But the difference is, is that he's more confident and like that has freed him up to do things, and Confidence is definitely something that either frees me or restrains me, right? Like, I am not confident about traveling alone, and so I don't. And I think I would enjoy a lot of things about traveling alone, but it makes me really nervous, and so I just don't do it. So I was wondering if you could help me pick apart this idea of, like, self-confidence or self-assuredness as freedom.
0: I would want to wonder about the relationship between confidence and complacency. Because if we turn back to the initial distinction I tried to draw with my story between freedom from things versus freedom to be for myself or others, that means that a confidence which says, I am who I am and there's nothing else I need to be, stops, doesn't travel, doesn't learn, doesn't grow because it doesn't feel it needs to. It's overconfident in some ways, right? But a confidence which instead says, I am everything I need to be right now. And what I need to be right now is on my way to someplace else. That's the right amount of confidence. And so to be truly free to be for yourself or others would mean to be free to grow in yourself and towards others. And that means being confident in where you are and confident enough in where you are to feel free to go someplace else. And the way I relate to it is the way I think about like, my love for my kids, which is like, I love my kids exactly as they are. Like, they don't need to be any different than they are, right? But, you know, when my daughter was four or five and learning how to read, I didn't say to her, no, I love you as you are. Never read. Like, I was like, no, I love you so much. I want you to grow into something else. I want you actually to, there's, you're not done. I love you as you are, but that doesn't mean you're done growing. Do this other thing. And so it means helping and even encouraging and sometimes coaxing, right? And at our best, at my best, that's, I hope that's the way I relate to myself, which is, yeah, just as I am. I don't need to be anything other than what I am. I don't always feel that most days, right? But on good days, I feel that. And when I feel it, that's when I feel actually most capable of saying, oh, here's the other thing I want for myself. And because I love myself where I am, I can say honestly to myself, oh, I should be this other thing too, and then go for it, right? I think that's
1: this line between confidence and complacency. Yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Okay, Matt, there's one other place that I want to talk about freedom because I found it very amusing. There is, at the opening of the chapter, there's this, like, very, like, pastoral, like, Picturesque scene of like Fred and George and Lee Jordan like tickling the giant squid and everyone just like laying out in the sun. It actually sounds wonderful. A week of break on campus after exams, but before you get your results, where you're just like hanging out at school, sounds amazing. Yeah. So they're all just like hanging out, eating good food, enjoying the good weather. And then they come inside and McGonagall and then Snape are like, go outside. It's nice out. You're free to go outside, so go. Like, it's almost a requirement that the kids be outside because the teachers want to be free from the kids. Yes. And, like, how much of parenting is that where you, like, agree to let the kids watch a movie and you're like, sure, because I'm generous.
0: You're welcome.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: And now while you're watching that movie, I'm going to go have some quiet time to myself, which is exactly what I want. Yes. I mean, there's also just sort of maybe like the end of the year factor, which is just kind of like, come on, the year's over. Just let's just get through the year (laughs) one more night. Like that's when you show the movie in the late afternoon, right? Because you're just out of ideas and you need things to wrap up. Right. And we don't need another problem right now. It's probably fine. It's been a long year, a stressful year, obviously. Maybe they just want the year over.
2: I mean, that also speaks to the fact that like, I feel like the teacher-student dynamic is, like, such an interesting way to think about this kind of freedom that you were talking about in your story of, like, the kids' freedom of being done with exams means that the teachers have a lot of work this week. They're grading papers, and that's why there's this week, right? I'm just always interested in that, in wanting to dispel the myth that, like, perfect freedom or perfect liberty or perfect love can ever be done, like, without someone else suffering. And what it means to take on some of the suffering yourself so that we can all enjoy a certain amount of liberty and freedom yeah. rather than trying to take it all
0: ourselves. Yeah, this is the thing, right? Like, if freedom is just licensed to do whatever you want, then it, it means that you are not bound to other people right? And being in relationship to other people means that you have duties and responsibilities to them. And that means if you want to be free to love others and be loved, you don't have license to do everything, right? Right. Nor do they. There has to be a negotiation between people who are in relationship about who we can be and how, how we let others be, right? And that's the other side of freedom, which is important, which is letting people be who they are. It is a negotiation. It's never entirely one thing or the other.
2: I do think that that is something that frustrated so many people about JK Rowling's rhetoric was that she made this really long statement with misinformation about trans people, dangerous misinformation about trans people, and then would complain about people boycotting her books or being upset about it and she kept saying freedom of speech. And I think Mm. that a really wonderful retort was freedom of speech does not mean freedom from repercussions, right? right? Like, yes, you can say whatever you want legally and we are free to disagree with you and to stop buying your books and to loudly condemn you. And this conflation of like freedom of speech means that you have to just accept everything that I have to say. It was just like one of the many really frustrating things about that whole cycle.
0: Yeah and I think that she's especially in this instance is emblematic of a larger kind of misconstrual of the nature of like something like censorship. When you hear people talking about cancel culture, you hear them talking about cancel culture on cable news and on Twitter accounts with millions of followers. Like right? Like you you have not been censored. You were finding out that people don't like what you're saying and that's that's okay. That doesn't mean you've been censored. That means this is what free speech looks like. It doesn't just mean everyone has to type down and let your words stand, it actually means the free flow of ideas and that <laughs> and that right. we get to argue with you if we want to. Yeah. And that is a mark of I, right privilege. And I think, like you said, I think that she has enjoyed enough for long enough that maybe full license is what she identifies with freedom rather than this idea of responsibility or obligation. Yeah.
2: So, Matt, it's now time for our spiritual practice, and this week we are going to do Pardes, a medieval Jewish practice.
0: Vanessa, I have never done Pardes before. I'm very excited.
2: Well, I'm very excited to teach it to you. So, Pardes means orchard. It is also an acronym. And so, it stands for these four words, shot, remez, Drash, and Sod, and it's a four-step reading practice. It is similar to Lectio Divina, but it's also different in some really exciting ways. And so, I will walk you through all four steps. And all you have to do is pick a sentence at random.
0: The page is already open. So I'm just going to look and read a line, which is he'll flatten it or turn it into a school for the dark arts.
2: So the first step is very similar to Lectio Divina. Shut. We're just literally telling the story of what's happening in the sentence. So this is Harry imagining what's going to happen if Voldemort gets in charge of Hogwarts. Is that right?
0: That's right. Yep. This is where he's telling Ron and Hermione that he is going to go try to stop Voldemort and they don't need to come with him because the consequences are too grave for them to even consider inaction or for him to consider inaction.
2: Great. Okay. Well, step two is remez and remez means hint. And one of the ways that Talmudic scholars do this is they like track a word within the text, like within the Torah, for example. So if, you know, they pick the word ark, it's like the ark of the covenant, Noah's ark. What does that mean? It means that the ark of the covenant is like a ship that takes us on a moral quest, right? Like what do these words mean in different contexts? And so let's pick one of the words from this sentence that you picked and we'll trace it throughout the Harry Potter books a little bit. Oh boy. Which word do you think that we should pick?
0: There's something about the word flatten, which is standing out to me.
2: Harry's always flattening his hair because his hair sticks up.
0: That's true. I mean, he's speaking about flatten metaphorically here. He's saying that Voldemort will destroy the school, right? And I mean, that doesn't quite happen at the end of the seventh book, but I feel like that happens to the ministry, right? They go in and tear up the ministry and basically, well, they occupy it. That's different than flattening it. Like they make it a shell, but...
2: Well, you can flatten something that gets reinflated, right? Like mm. a tire can get flattened yeah. and then reinflated, and so I would argue that Hogwarts does get flattened mm. in Book Seven. Yeah. It becomes like a mockery of itself, yeah. right? Like, and so it gets the air put back into it, but yeah, it is very flattened. Oh, you're in right. Book yeah, I hadn't seven. thought of that.
0: Yeah, you're right. He does destroy it in his own way, right? And and the Ministry too. Hmm. I think Harry literally means. It'll be rubble, right? But it's right. actually more useful for Voldemort to say, no, it'll be an instrument of of our form of wizarding supremacy and of my power, right? Which is yeah. an, a, a, like a spiritual and a more grave form of flattening, actually, or destruction. Right. I just had a vision of the Dementors approaching Dudley and Harry and sort of how, for all his bravado, how Dudley is just flattened by the literal specter of of the Dementors as they approach him.
2: Yeah, I really love that. Okay, so we have like Harry flattening his hair. We have Voldemort flattening the school. We have the flattening of Dudley. It It's like sort of the opposite of the kind of, you know, somebody else taking power and therefore I'm free, right? It's somebody else taking so much power that you're flattened rather than filled up. What do all these three words together make you realize about this sentence?
0: I mean, the, this, is this too literal or obvious a reading? Like, Harry's right. The threat is real, right? Like, this is actually yeah. what the stakes are. Because as we see yes. in the books, like, this is exactly what's going to happen. Dementors are going to start wandering muggle neighborhoods. And the Ministry of Magic is going to be overrun by Voldemort. And, like, even if his conception is not quite right, he thinks this the place is going to be rubble, his sense of alarm is spot on because it's actually what is at stake.
2: Ugh, I love that. Look at you being so good at your job. So step three is drush. And drush means sermon or meaning. So if this was the piece of text that we had to preach on, what lesson would you want to preach on it? What sermon would you want?
0: I mean, I want to go back to what we were saying before about McGonagall, right? Like every instinct and habit is that she wants this not to be a problem and so she dismisses the concerns of the children. But what she needs to do is just take them seriously. And I think that the sermon I would want to give is is listen to the vulnerable. Right? Like, even if you think you know better or if the habits of your life make you not want to trust their opinion, just stop and really try to ask the additional question. Like, what do you want to say to Dumbledore? Like you suggested, Vanessa. Because that additional question might have been the difference between these children being at the great risk that they came under and McGonagall calling Dumbledore back immediately and a really different outcome maybe happening at the end of this first book.
2: Yeah, I think I I mean I went to preach something similar about one another's anxiety. I feel like, you know, COVID was a year in which we all were anxious and therefore I feel like we didn't feel like we could rely on each other because it was like everybody else is having problems too. And I I think that that's always true. I think that when we flatten ourselves, right, we're not doing anybody else any favors. And so I would like to use this moment in like our history of hopefully being more vaccinated and this sentence to say, like, we have permission to be our whole selves. And that doesn't mean relying on people who need help or asking too much of people. But I would love to see people feeling comfortable reaching out again. Because I feel like something I hear over and over again is, oh, yeah, I haven't really talked to them because they're going through this in COVID and I'm only doing that. We know that anxiety finds all of us in different moments. And I just want us to be reaching out.
0: I mean, just just talking about COVID and freedom, like as we record, the Delta variant is, is really becoming incredibly widespread and dangerous. And I'm sure that by the time this airs, it'll be even more so. And we still have a lot of folks who, for reasons of freedom, insist that they should not be required or even even encouraged to to receive vaccinations. And again, I want to let's listen to the most vulnerable. Like there are some people who actually cannot get this vaccine whose only protection against COVID is herd immunity, right? And like flatten your own desires a little bit. Flatten your own sense of what you think your freedom should entitle you to and instead listen to the people who are really at risk and try to be free to be for them. Try to like do the thing that can help them be more free in the world, right? That's what I I think if I had a pulpit with this text, especially today and the kind of everyday more grim news about how pervasive this variant is in our only half vaccinated country, I think that's the thing I would wanna say to people.
2: Yeah. Well, step four is sewed and sewed means secret. And the idea is just that the text holds a secret for us and that by working on it together in this way, it's possible that we've sort of like loosened the ground and a secret could emerge. So I will read the sentence one more time and we'll just sit in silence for a moment and see if a secret emerges for us. He'll flatten it or turn it into a school for the dark arts. I think what's occurred to me based on our whole conversation today is like the risk of pushing the emergency button. Like Harry knows the risk. He's like, yes, I could maybe get expelled. Right. But if if I don't risk expulsion, then I risk this being a school that I don't want to go to. Right. We need to not shame each other when we claim emergency, even if it turns out that there isn't one.
0: Yeah, usually it's actually hard to press that button and you got to be pretty scared and right. concerned to do it. And so we should probably trust people who right. are willing to do it.
2: Like, I hate that Harry has to risk expulsion for this. It shouldn't have to be that hard.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, Matt, thank you so much. That was your first Pardes.
0: I like Pardes a lot. Pardes might be my favorite. My fave, too. It's not time for us to remember the friends and family of those in our community who have been lost to covid Audrey Sickles, age 80, a most loving wife, mother, and grandmother. Chris Clark, 29, a best friend and adventurer. Erica Steed, 49, a mother of one and a nurse. Nancy Crawley, 81, a comedian, teacher, grandma, and pastoral minister. Harold Hetchko, 65, a father, husband, neighbor, a great piano player, and psychotherapist. Robert. Jerry Johnston, 85, who lived a life of service to others. Let light perpetual shine upon them.
2: This week's voicemail is from Claire. Hello, Sacred Text team. Thank you for your
3: wonderful podcast. I'd like to bless Petunia Dursley. At night, I often feel the impulse to clean my house, and I want to do it alone because being around people can bring out the worst in me. I suffer from anxiety, and when it perks up, especially at night, I will do anything to reassert a feeling of calm or stasis, and usually this comes through anxious cleaning. Petunia does this as well. We see it in the sixth book when Dumbledore and Harry interrupt her nightly cleaning ritual, and I use the word ritual on purpose because it's a regular activity denoted by that description. It's something that she falls back on. She'd rather be away from her husband and son and reasserting a feeling of rigid perfection in her own controlled space. It's another anxious exhibition of what she feels and does. In the seventh book, she's a child and she's less prone to keeping these firm lines within herself. She's interested in what Lily does and even wants to share it. She wants to go to Hogwarts. But her lack of magical status denies her this position. And that's the last time we really see her draw forth, try and be more than what she is. After that, she sequesters herself all the more, She denies her ties to the Potters, even though they would expand and probably better her world. And when Harry is forced into her world, she treats him with cruelty. I think part of this is that Harry is the ultimate trigger to her anxiety because he explodes with magic. He explodes with who he is, even though she tries to repress it to keep her perfect home as it formerly was, but can never be again because of him. This does not excuse the abuse and cruelty she shows to him, and nothing ever will, but it does lend me a sense of understanding for her state of mind as she conducts her nightly cleaning ritual, despite everything going on around her and inside of her. So I'd like to bless Petunia and everyone with an anxious mind and clean kitchen, like me.
2: Claire, thank you so much. I love your blessing as a a reread of Petunia. And I too am an anxious cleaner. Nothing makes me feel more in control of the world than being able to have a clean tub. So I really feel you and I just really, I love this rereading and I'm very grateful for it.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Claire. I'm sorry that you struggle with anxiety, but I'm glad that you've found a practice and a ritual that eases your anxiety. And it's a really just generous and caring reading to extend that to Petunia. And so I'm grateful for it. I'm also really grateful for you saying that, you know, it's not an excuse. It's an explanation. And and sometimes the best sort of blessing is to just try our best to understand those, even those whose actions we condemn. So, so thank you for your voicemail. So, Vanessa, we just had a blessing of Petunia. Who would you like to bless this week?
2: I want to bless Hermione. She does like something that's really vulnerable, right? She like gets sentimental in front of a boy at the age of 11. He even is like Hermione, right? When she hugs him. And I just think that it's very sweet. And as someone who gets like oddly sentimental with people and like often wants them to know how much I care (laughs) about them, I'm very proud of Hermione for being so brave And just wonderful and vulnerable and sharing her feelings. So good job, Hermione. It makes Harry feel good, even if he pretends like it doesn't. Totally. Who do you want to bless?
0: I want to bless Ron. Uh, We both have really obvious blessings this week, but sometimes it's good to bless people for the obvious things. They deserve them. I think I might want to point to something less obvious for him saying in that moment, you two are crap at chess. (laughs) I'm the one who's leading the chess challenge, right? Because Hermione's brilliant and he knows she's brilliant and a better wizard in almost every way. And Harry is brilliant at Quidditch and can fly his broom around like nobody's business. And in this friendship, he often, I think throughout the books is sort of less skilled than the other two in a number of ways. And I love that in this moment, he just says, listen, I am the best one at chess. Both of you do what I say. And they know it's true and they do. And I, I love that just moment of confidence of knowing who he is really well, embracing it and being able to speak it to his friends who all are also able to hear it. Vanessa, next week we are reading chapter 17, the final chapter of the book, The Man with Two Faces. I think I know what our theme is, but tell me what our theme is.
2: Yeah, so it's the last chapter of the book. So we always read the last chapter of the book on the theme of love. So we'll be doing
0: that. Sounds great. Can't wait to talk about love with you next week. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook common room. Join our local groups and come and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. You can leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or send us a voicemail with your blessing. We are a Not Sorry production. We're edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, And we're distributed by ACAST.
2: We'd like to thank Claire for her voicemail this week, Molly Baxter, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Terkyle, Emma Smith, and Stephanie Paulsell. And of course, we also want to thank everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. Thank you, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: Nice. Thanks. Go Wildcats. Is that what they are? It's a guess. Um, if if you don't know, say Wildcat. You're probably right. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> this week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimald Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. Redfin, it's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen